big introduction about recording. All right. Here we are, everybody, with everyone from the Affordable Drill Towers trip. This is why I keep Rob around. Thanks, Rob. Certainly not for your looks, I can assure you. <laughs> I'd have a anyway, bridge to guys, sell you. So here we are. A uh, little intro. We just started recording. We got some... Wow. So we got some all-stars here, and I, I'm flattered and honored to be on here with a lot of you and call you all friends. Uh, we, a lot of us um, have known each other in the past, but also because of Steve and affordable drill towers. We all came together in Texas a few months back and um, really hit it off just as a group. And, uh, and that's why a lot of us are here tonight is because that group has continued to communicate and so on. And so for National Fire Radio, what I wanted to do tonight was throw up a couple topics and just have kind of a roundtable discussion. Um, no holds barred, some ball busting, some funny comments, some facts, and uh, you know, a couple nuggets from Captain Doom would be fantastic, you know? But um, you know, the first one we picked, we picked number three. The first one is, truck culture and truck culture without a truck. So I was talking with uh, a friend of mine who's in Cal Fire. Um, and he said to me, he goes, you know, nobody ever talks about truck company operations without a truck. Meaning, you know, on social media, it's very truck heavy, Matt, as you know, um, you know, we're, we're a very truck oriented fire service when it comes to social media. Um, and I think what's happening is, you know, people are getting it in their heads that you have to have the truck to be a valid truck company. Um, and in a lot of places, my buddy in Cal Fire up in uh, the Napa area, he said the first five pieces on scene are engines. And so those guys inherently are doing first do truck company work without a truck. Um, so open up the conversation. I don't know if anybody wants to hop in on this, but, um, you know, it's, it is prevalent out there. Not every municipality, urban, suburban, or, or rural is running an actual aerial, but the discipline of truck company operations obviously is imperative. Um, somebody want to jump in on this? Talk well, let's about start with Eric. Culture? I want to say something, if you don't mind, Honest. Please. I think it's uh, truck culture. I mean, if you're running an engine company, that's fine. But you have to have a plan in place. Okay? You can't have the first in engine, force a door, stretch a line, and do the searches, and expect any of those to get done with any efficiency. You need to assign someone to help them, whether it's stretching the line, let them be the truck and start forcing the door. Bring the line to the front door or whatever else. But if you don't have a plan, if you don't have a set of SOGs that say who's going to perform the truck company functions, you don't have an idea how it's going to happen, then it's not going to happen. And it's not going to happen right. Great departments don't have truck companies or don't yeah. have enough people to get them out. But they have great, great set of rules, SOGs, and they plan how they're going to do this. And it's all built on training, knowledge of the training, and the guys doing the right thing. I, I agree wholeheartedly, Cap. I, I truly do. I think the disciplines, right, the, the fundamentals of firefighting, right, extinguishment, ventilation, search and rescue. I mean, those are your three fundamentals that were all instilled. Um, typically, putting water on the fire is the priority. However, you know, everything else is uh, simultaneous, if you will, right? We get water on the fire to fire, you know, the problem starts to go away. Um, but I think the priorities sometimes, I know I've been on fire grounds where search culture is not the priority because we're too worried about getting that line in place, opening up, and then search becomes that second or third category that we're filling. Uh, you know, building's empty, nobody's inside. So the, the priority starts to, starts to decrease a little bit. However, it still needs to be a primary function. Um, I agree with you. I agree with you wholeheartedly. Anybody else got anything on this? Well, I, I in general. 
I, I think uh, I think Captain Dugan hits the nail squarely on the head. You know, it, it boils down to having a plan, and 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 that's more than just truck culture itself. It's the the fire service in general. Um, I beat my head against that wall for about 10 years trying to get SOGs and SOPs in place. And uh, the answer I was commonly given was I pay my captains good money to make game time decisions. I don't want to tie their hands by telling them what they have to do. Uh, to, to me, that's a cop out. You know, we, they say no fire is the same. BS, 90% of your fires are the same, at least for us, you know, a single story or two story, single family dwellings. That's what we run on. Um, so there's no reason you can't be good at those and do the same thing that you always do. Um, we're very fortunate. We just got a brand new chief about a month and a half ago, maybe two months ago. Um, and unfortunately he got COVID dropped right in his lap. So he's been dealing with that, but we're really looking forward to implementing some solid SOGs. Um, you know, we're a small job, three ships. Five, five engine companies, so that's 15 captains we got to wrangle in, which is by all, all means relatively easy. Um, but unofficially on my shift, the five captains that I get to work with, they know what my expectations are. And that's what it boils down to is setting your expectations from where you arrive on the alarm as to what your task is going to be and then furthermore, what each individual person on that rig is responsible for. Now, again, those aren't hard SOGs that have been adopted by the department, but they're relatively hard SOGs that have been adopted by the six of us, myself and my five captains, that when we go at scene, if it's our bread and butter fire, there's very little dialogue. You know, first do arrives, your fire attack. To speak to what Mike said a moment ago, <clears throat> Nine, nine times out of 10, our first due driver is stretching the first hand line because the firefighter, the tailboard firefighter is going to the front door to force the door. So that helps um, knock two birds with one stone, right? So then first due is fire attack, second due is search, Third do is vent. Now that vent can, can determine whether it's going to be vertical or horizontal based on the condition. But there's another truck task that's being handled by an engine, but it's, right. it's known ahead of time, you know, it's pre-planned. Um, so it, it's all about just having that, that playbook in place ahead of time and not pulling something out of your boot, if you will, um, to come up with a game plan on scene, have it ahead of time. And that's what it ultimately boils down to. Gotcha. Danny, you're a big truck guy. You guys, you guys do a lot of truck work up in that, uh, that city that you're in. Um, what do you got? I mean, what are, what are your thoughts? No, I mean, exactly like what Captain Dugan said. I mean, there's places, there's even decent sized departments just outside Boston that are running into these same problems. Budget cuts, layoffs, putting companies out of service, the same things still have to get done. Truck work has to get done. Um, just reading these comments. Uh, uh, yeah, I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> no, but, it, <laughs> you know, like you said, the, the, the same thing's got to be done. You know, truck work's got to be done. That first new engine can show up, but if the officer, one of those guys on that piece, especially if it's a two or three guy engine, 
he's in carrying a set of irons or at least a, a crowbar, you know, what, what is the plan? You know, like he said, you know, a lot of these departments have developed it. You know, if it's not something new and it's something they've done for quite a while, they have it in their SOGs or SOPs, sure. stuff like that. But as some of these departments do get decimated, you know, and hit layoffs and put companies out of service and brownouts and stuff like that, you know, they need to go to the, you know, the plan book and the playbook and figure out what's going to go on. Um, you know, like I said, getting, getting outside Boston, there's a lot of departments that either it's a mutual aid truck company coming in, um, or it's going to be like their third piece. Let's say there's no trucks around. It might be like their third engine. But like we said, you know, that first company showing up, you're not getting in the building. If we just have smoke showing, we're not putting any water on the fire from outside. You know, we still need to get inside that building. There's got to be a plan on what's going to go on. If you're going to show up and you don't have a truck, uh, you know, is the officer forcing the door and then we're going to make the stretch or whatnot. But something's got to be in play. Yeah, I like I like the port. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Aaron. Chief, you were going to say something? No, 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 no. Just go ahead. I, I was, can I jump in there real quick? I, I think back to that picture that I think uh, a lot of people in the nation saw out of Boston, which was probably sometime last year, Danny. I know you can elaborate more on this, where um, a, a baby was rescued from a window. And that yep. was done via, uh, that was performed by an engine company. So they probably had all intentions of showing up as an engine company and mm -hmm. were put into operation as a truck. Uh, and that, and you will find that again, we all have well-intended plans and SOGs out there, but unfortunately, situationally dependent when you show up on scene, uh, maybe there's a different, uh, arrival order, uh, in your, you know, compared to what you're normally used to, things can change uh, all the time and we have to be able to adapt to that. I think so just like conversation just too, right. Is like, as the engine company stretching that line, if the trucks around the block or, or a couple blocks away, they carry irons. They might force that door, right? They, they're going to gain entry. So that the engine's going to have to do some truck work to at least get the advance of the line in place, right? And then I <clears> – <throat> excuse me. <clears throat> but uh, COVID, Glad nobody's around you COVID, right now. COVID, yeah, COVID. <laughs> this, is, this is why we're doing it remotely. It just uh, crashed. Don't <laughs> lose your voice again, Jeremy. <laughs> Michael Harris spraying things down. That's fantastic. I, I, think, I think part of the conversation, too, is too often, I think – when it comes to training is um, there's a lot of people, I think the majority is not Boston and FDNY and big cities that have dedicated guys to dedicated positions. You know, we, a lot of, a lot of departments are doing uh, more with less. And whether you're on an engine company or a truck company, uh, you're not riding out with six man truck or a five man truck. Typically, um, you know, in parts of this country, it's a two man truck or a three man truck, you know? So they're doing a lot more with less. And so, we have to start having some of those real conversations. I agree with everything Captain Dugan started this conversation off with about planning guidelines and putting it to paper and then from paper to practicality on the field like Eric was talking about. And so I think that's all important, but the conversation of the culture itself is hugely important. And that, that type of work needs to be done by everybody on the fire ground. Aaron, quote, quote me if I'm wrong, but I believe OG was one of the first ones that started doing that, yeah. right? Yeah. Big, uh, big truck, yeah. small crew. Yeah. And, like uh, he started teaching that throughout Mass and basically all over the country years ago. Yeah. Gallagher, Gallagher wrote some articles, um, you know, the truck without the truck. And yeah. then certain other guys um, apparently jumped on that and now teach it all over the place. 
but I, I can tell you in the mid nineties, Dave Gallagher was the guy that I learned it from. Um, and we had him come to new Egypt when I was, when I was a volunteer there because we didn't have a truck until 2001 and our nearest truck came from military reservation that we didn't know if we could get it usually. So that was a problem. So when I joined in the volunteers back then in the eighties, our deal was that the crew of the second do engine served as the truck work. The second do engine carried a 35 and a, and a um, 14 straight ladder. The first do engine had a 24 and a 14. So the second do engine, when they pulled up, it was their call where they were stripping ladders from either the first do piece or the second do dependent on the building they were going to. So there was really a truck culture bred into us in the, in the mid, mid eighties in New Egypt when I started volleying there, because again, we didn't know when a truck was coming. So both engines had saws, every, you know, all the tools had rope bags and that was just how I learned it. And then in 01, they got a quint because it was really all they could, it was, it was a money issue, honestly. And right. they did, but they, I wasn't the chief at the time. I was a, um, I was a commissioner and the chief at the time said, listen, the first due crew is still going to be an engine company primarily, unless they got victim showing something else, they're going to be stretching. The second due crew is going to man the rest of the aerial and, and do the truck ops. And it works for them that to this day, I think it probably hasn't changed a hell of a lot. And it, and it really does. It, it, it seems to work, but, uh, but it was a truck culture back even when I was a kid. And, and I absolutely learned that stuff uh, from Gallagher. When, when we bought the aerial in New Egypt, it, uh, uh, we brought in uh, Gallagher and Greg Einsfeld was still working at Rescue 3 at the time. And uh, Dana Hannon, God bless him. You know, God rest Dana's soul. Um, Dana and uh, Bobby Swick. So for all the guys who pull up the, the VES video of Bobby Swick doing the, the baby grab that time, you know, that's where we learned the stuff from when we bought that aerial apparatus in 01. Aaron, I want to stop you real quick, or just jump in real quick. Um, yeah. That, when, when you guys educated me, when we were talking, I, I did something about that ladder pull with the, with the hooks up on the oh, yeah. ladder and the extension ladder and all this equipment. And you guys educated me where that came from. I did. I went back, researched it, checked it out, man. I, I love being able to pass that on. I love the fact that somebody was able to tell me where that originated and came from. I love that. It's pretty cool. Yeah. We've done yeah. that a couple of times, and every time I, I know I, I definitely include that every time I do a portable. No, I saw you, yeah, I saw you do it last year yeah, at the pool. Never, never pronounces his name correctly. I haven't been no. able to pronounce it right since the first time I, uh, <laughs> I did it. I, uh, I saw it. I, luckily, sometimes I had Danny there to help me out as I'm doing it. Um, but yeah, it's very important to acknowledge that and to let the let the students know, you know, a little bit of fire service history as well, and to acknowledge the people that you know invented this stuff because it's. I have very few things that are my own. Well, I, I right, I think all of us, right, and uh, and so on, and I think that kind of leads us um, down another path here. That's a good segue. You guys are pretty good, man. So uh, it's kind of a segue, but let's let's go. Um, next one, mentorship. Having them and becoming one. And in this group, we have them, and there are some in this group. And so I think it's a cool conversation. Rob gave me the idea on this one, which I love. Um, I know I have one or two mentors in my world that really um, I aspired to uh, be. 
and to look up to them and to take their values um, and really how they how they were men and try to tailor myself to become men just like them, a man just like them with the right values and morals and ethics and so on. And I think that carries over into the fire service as well. Um, fire service mentors are hugely important. Um, and I think this day and age, more than ever, we need more of them and we need solid ones. Um, I'd love to start this conversation off. Uh, Mike O'Hare, maybe you'll hop in if you don't mind, brother. Just... I'd love to. I'd love to just start picking some brains here. The truck work. What's that? I was really hoping to jump in on the truck well, work. Shit. Well, let's go back to that then. I mean, you can hop right in, brother. Don't be shy. Just a throw in. I guess you could you could categorize it in the mentorship. But when I started out, um, Missouri City, a small town outside of Houston, we had two two persons on the on the trucks, and and there was a set thing. It was expected. The, the captain's gonna truck he's doing a 360 he's doing utilities he's looking for people outside windows or, or needing help right away and the, the the driver is pulling pulling hose he's charging it bleeding it two long tools two short tools at the door that they're going to go in on running a fan set off to the side ready for ventilation you know when the time comes and then the second arriving apparatus they team up and they go you know start their fire attack and then uh, work on on uh, water supply afterwards um, it was just, it was, it was a methodical deal. Um, name at the time was our, our, Tim Sandelbach was our training officer of the department. He's, he's still out there doing a lot of training and, uh, in some magazines, I believe. And, um, having that established early on in my career set the precedence for how everything should be done since then. And it's, you know, in, in the city, I'm on a rescue truck but we do a lot of truck work. We're gonna soften the structure. We're gonna make sure that the guys inside can get out. So forcing extra doors, getting all the uh, burglar devices out of the way, uh, making sure that if there's a long run with no, no way to get out, that we have a plan in action to, to get those guys the availability to get out when the time comes. And then we're popping in and uh, checking their, their circumstances. We're gonna go in with thermals and, and uh, and get the layout on the inside of the structure and know what we're dealing with ahead of time. A second set of eyes for safety on those guys inside. And uh, we're just keeping an eye on them so that we can formulate the plan and make it active and current at all times. So it was that, back to the mentor thing, it was that guy that made sure that you, you had a, a structure in place that, that you followed it every time. And it's not across the board, it's more of our crew does things a certain way, but it kind of uh, set the precedence for the, the career on, on out. Just you do things the right way and, and you have a pattern per se and, and you stick to it. And you make sure that everyone's on that same page and, and you make it work as a group. So. I love it. No, I, I, I thank you for hopping in. And please just hop it. What is That's a gorgeous puppy. What is, what is that? What's the, Eric, what was that? That is my yellow lab Jameson that very much wants to be involved in the conversation apparently. <laughs> All over me whining and barking and yeah, good stuff. Uh, that's cool. Mike, thanks for thanks for hopping in. And please don't hesitate. Like anybody, if you got something to say, please hop in. Kevin, we might as well hit you. I mean, you're you're an engine guy, a truck guy, a rescue guy. Like, I don't know, what hat do you wear? <laughs> it depends on the situation. Yeah, ex so talk about that a little bit. Well, I mean, if if you look across the country, I mean, the country is a lot different than New York City, obviously. And we talked about Manning before and really comes down to 
the engine being a truck in some of those situations really depends on who's showing up. So when you look at the volunteer world, you know, who do they have on a truck? You know, they have interior and exterior firefighters and all of that stuff. You know, are guys capable of doing the job of a truck or even have the knowledge to do that? That gets into a big situation to start with. But when we talk about SOPs, I mean, New York City is very driven on SOPs. And it's great to say, all right, well, the second do or the third do engine will be your truck. But the reality is, if they only have two guys on that rig and they're not capable of going in, there's your SOP right out the window. So it gets into very shady areas that we have to deal with. I had a friend who was a fireman in Florida and it was him and a lieutenant on the rig. And he said, we pull up first due. He goes, I stretch the line. He'll put it in pumps and then I'll go and back them up. Second due takes over. So it's very dependent on what's your neighborhood and what you're going to be dealing with. Yeah, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. Rob, maybe you could hit on that too because you ride shorthanded. I mean, there's there's days you're gonna have a two man truck. Yeah, I mean, it's we just kind of figure it out as we go a lot of times because <laughs> you don't know what you're what you're going into. If if we go to a standard standard being a structure fire, uh, we take an engine and a ladder truck, and the two guys that are riding on the ladder truck usually are helping stretch the line and forcing the door. So we've got the city of Poughkeepsie with engine two coming behind us. And those guys assume the truck responsibilities. Right. And it's always been a great thing for us is because our ladder trucks are kind of set up similar. So they walk over and I, you know, they, they just, they know how, they know how it works. So that for, for me as the officer, I've always just kind of tried to focus the guys on parking the truck in the right spot. And so like, listen, even though you're probably not going to get up to the turntable and I'm really sorry that that's going to happen to you. And you're, you know, you're going to get this awesome position. Those guys from Poughkeepsie are going to come up and put the outriggers out and either get to the roof or act as that search crew or, or whatever the case may be. And it's very fluid. Like it's, it's probably the strangest thing. There's no book on it because there's literally been times where we've, you know, gone inside and, and done the search and we've had the line at the door waiting for the guys from Poughkeepsie or if we've gone in on the line and they've, they've gone to the floor above and we've held the stairs for them. So yeah, it's a, uh, so it's, All right. beautiful. So let's, let's, uh, let's transition in now um, to the mentorship um, because I think, I think that conversation is um, hugely important because when, when I, 24 years ago, when I started in the fire service, I mean, I grew up in, the, in a house where my father was a firefighter. So I grew up in a firehouse as a kid. So I had expectations and understanding um, and knew my position in the firehouse when I did eventually become a firefighter. Um, and, and I'm fortunate for that, but there are a lot of kids that don't have the ability to even understand what it's about until they get into it. Um, and then it's about finding your way. And I think part of finding your way is finding that senior guy or, or a very senior guy, or even maybe a junior guy that is willing to give you those nuggets that you need to succeed. Um, and I, when I when I say succeed, it's not just as a firefighter, but as a uh, as a man, you know, as a person, uh, you know, a lot of things are learned at the firehouse. Not all of it's firematic. Um, and, and if if so, I think more life lessons are taught and learned around the kitchen table or that front bumper than probably anywhere else in your life. Um, and I think we've all had great experiences there. And I I go back to the roundtable that we did when I barely had a voice uh, back in Texas. Um, I mean, I was down and out, guys, when, when we did that. I really wasn't feeling well. Um, but, Captain Dugan, you, you made a very good point. I, I was talking about the OG, right, the original gangsters. And I was talking about, you know, yourself. And Ray McCormick was there that day with us. And, uh, 
and a few other guys that I, I look up to and I remember digesting your content um, in my earlier days. And, and I looked up to you um, and a few other gentlemen as the, as the OG. And you said to me flat out, you go, yeah, but we had ours too. You know, you, you listed a, a whole slew of guys that you uh, felt were great influences for you in your um, early years and so on. And, and you know, for me, I'm, I, it's, it's hard to think back generation to generation. I mean, your generation was before my generation and so on. And so we all have those mentors coming up the line. Um, can, Captain Dugan, would you mind speaking to that a little bit just about the importance of, of a good mentor or finding somebody in the fire service that I think can that you can feel um, puts you in a good spot. And, and I think some people are lost in looking for that this day and age, and it's hard to come by, I think, more and more. Well, Jeremy, I think everyone you meet in the fire service is going to give you something. Not all of them are gonna be for the good. I got right. a lot of people giving me bad shit right across the board. I never wanna be like that guy or that guy. And then there are other guys like, I wanna be like him. He walks in the door, people listen to what he says. There were guys throughout the job. I mean, Vinnie Dunn is one of my mentors. Vinnie Dunn helped me get my first article published. He was a great guy. There were so many people, I can't list them all, but here's the thing. Anybody who thinks that they're gonna be there and they're, gonna, they're only there for them, there's always somebody coming up behind you who's gonna do your job. And if you don't want them to do it better, shame on you. Because it's just like any of, anybody who has a kid wants their kid to be better than they were, okay? In the fire service, I don't want the fire service, I wanna leave it better, but I wanna make sure that it's in better hands than I was. Cause I did a lot of stupid shit in my day. We okay? all, so yeah. Why not make it better and smarter for the rest of us, okay? And it, it's just, it's common sense. But if you let your ego drive what you are doing, you're an idiot. Cause ego, I think, I don't know who said it first, but I've heard a lot of people, some people say that um, we can attribute this to back to Alan Brunacini. I don't care who said it. I don't know. So if you're the first guy who said it, thank you, Moses. But ego eats brains. Okay. If you think somebody else can't do it better and smarter than you or do it, blow you out of the water, you're an idiot. You're an asshole. I agree. Okay? So mentors, be a mentor because you're training a guy to take your place. So you, you know they, to do the right thing. They, they say knowledge is power, but I've always said, and again, just like you, Mike, somebody else said it long before me, but knowledge is power. But if you keep it to yourself, you're not powerful. You're a fucking douchebag. Plain and simple. You, you have to share that knowledge. You have to allow somebody else to take it, refine it, tweak it, and make it even better for the next guy. Cause that's what it's all about. It's not about, Look at me, look at what I can do. Look at all this information, all these trainings I go to and look at how powerful I am. No, that's bullshit. You have to be able to pass it on. If you keep all that information and knowledge to yourself, you're just a douchebag. You're not, you're not powerful at all. And you know something, hey. Eric, you're 100% right. And I'm just gonna say one more thing. My next original thought will be my first. Okay, because I've just taken things and used what other people have given me and worked with them. And I think that's so important that we all know this. You're not, nobody out there is a shining star. Nobody out there is the best thing to come along in the fire service. And you're going to be the best thing that ever happened to the American fire service. If you think that, you should go out by where Hankins lives in Hollywood and find yourself a job. Because <laughs> you, are not, you don't belong on a fire truck. Hey, Jeremy, can I say something about that? 
let, can you show us your back piece first before we go anywhere? <laughs> I want my back piece, and even if it was, I wouldn't admit it. Come on, man. Just, thank thank you for hopping on, brother. Open the door. It's good, good to see you, man. <laughs> it took him a while, but. Hey, I'm not going to leave early either. Hey, uh, it's what Captain Dugan said a minute ago. You know, especially with the newer generation on mentorship, if you think you're better than the guy that came before you, then you're obviously in the wrong profession. But too many times nowadays, the younger guys, they're ate up with, with following what the red helmet or the white helmet has to say or do. And that's who they want to emulate. I learned the most from a 30-year pipeman that I rode next to who passed on things informally. And he was the one that you watched that you wanted to emulate. And then when you take a promotional test and you promote, you still realize that he's the guy behind you that's going to keep you moving in the right direction. So mentorship does not have to be somebody that, you know, is higher in rank than you. It has to be somebody who has credibility, who has knowledge, yep. but like Hankin said, knows how to pass it on. And he does it in that way on the front bumper, on the tailboard, in the kitchen at nine o'clock cleanup or whatever else to where he teaches you about the life experience of the fire service. But then when you watch him work, he does it to where he wants to pass on what he's doing. He yep. wants you to learn it and he wants you to be better, but it doesn't have to be a rank differential. I love that. Spot on, spot on brother. I think, I think Larry uh, just hit the nail on the head with that, you know, and, and going back to the point of, it really doesn't come down to time. You know, I think a lot of people always feel that a mentor has to be somebody that has a lot of time, but that's not necessarily true. I try to emulate the guys that I see working the hardest um, you know, tr even trying to pass along knowledge, it might not be the most up-to-date knowledge, but if they're willing to take the time to tell me something um, that they've learned, I'm willing to listen to that. And that's how I've been my entire career. And I want to try then automatically to pass that along to somebody else. And I feel that that's just about like how everybody is in this group, hundred percent how everybody is in this group. And that's what makes us a little bit different than everybody else. But I really think that the biggest thing there is it doesn't come down to having the most amount of time. It doesn't need to be a 30-year pipe man or a 30-year chauffeur or the officer. There's plenty of people, even the five-year guy uh, can offer you something. And, and also just see how not only, uh, you know, the knowledge they pass along, but how their actions are. Because, you know, there's, there's guys that will walk around the firehouse and pick up the littlest piece of trash that they see. And that to me is big. You know, that yeah. speaks volumes for their character right there. And character is more important than reputation. Maddie, that's what I was just going to say, man. I think the word character, um, I don't think it's talked about enough. Um, I think we need to talk more about it. Um, I think character is all-encompassing, um, and it, it goes to your demeanor on the fire ground, but it also goes to your company demeanor, your drive, your ambition, your desire, um, instilling uh, the right values into the, the ones that are coming after us while respecting and uh, working with the ones that came before us. I mean, it's a, it's a really fine balance. I know just for myself, I find in my firehouse, I'm that middle ground guy. I still connect with every single young guy that walks through the door, but I am the first guy to take uh, that 90 year old guy from my firehouse, you know, my volunteer house, uh, uh, some soup during this COVID, you know, epidemic, you know? Um, and, and I love that position. I love where I am. I'm 43 years old and I am so happy to be in that position where I feel that working with the young and brokering the conversation between the young and the old. I love that. I love facilitating that conversation. Hey, well, hey, Mario, you're in here, man. You're going to try him up tonight or no? Who? Is it Mario on? I see him. Yeah, Mario's there. Mario. He's on mute. 
You can still hear us. And Steve must be on duty if he can do this because rescue trucks don't do shit anyway. So he's got all the time. I my cigar, so yes. Larry, Larry here. But I, you know, it's it's an interesting conversation. And what I had written on that piece of paper, if you, it's having them and becoming one. Becoming one is is a unique conversation. Um, you know, Aaron, maybe just asking, I'm sure uh, in your tenure in the fire service, I mean, I'm sure uh, you've been in a mentorship role probably for a few of your younger guys, whether in the volunteer house or in the career house and so on. Um, you know, I know in, in my firehouse, uh, a lot of the younger kids come to me um, with questions, concerns, thoughts, ideas, uh, pick my brain, want to hear my opinion. Um, and I'm very much sure that you're in the same boat. Would you mind hitting on that a little bit? Um, yeah, I, I think uh, probably it's kind of weird. Like we talked about with this group, um, you know, having what I, I see it from a bunch of different sides. So I had really good mentors when I was young in the fire service, um, had a really good volunteer fire chief in New Egypt when I started there, uh, a couple of them. And actually one of those, one of those guys who I guess they're old timers now actually came to my swearing in for my, my promotional ceremony, you know, a couple months ago. So that was really cool. So it stays with you. Um, the people who really, really matter and influenced you if at all possible. Um, I see one thing I just want to throw in, and I, I think one of the things the guys were talking about, we see it when we're out in the, on this national training circuit that everybody talks about, which it is what it is. Um, I don't think it makes you any better, any worse. I think there's a lot of jerk offs that are out there right now. Um, just maybe that's completely politically incorrect, but I don't give a shit. There's a lot of guys that are out there teaching and spreading their whatever it is simply to hear themselves talk. Um, whether they've got lots of experience or they don't, there's got to be, uh, to me, a, a good mentor is humble. A good mentor tells you where he learned everything from. Like, like Captain Dugan said, you know, I don't have too many original thoughts. You know, when it comes to the fire that. service, yeah. I, we learned them from somebody. And these guys who are preaching that they did this and they do that and it's this way and it's that way, it's fucking bullshit. It really is, but it's, it's what it is. And it, maybe I had too many of my cups full tonight, but I just feel that that's, that's gotta be addressed more often because there's too many guys out there bullshitting and, and somebody's got to The young guys are going to see it and eventually they'll figure that out, but it, it's just not right. But to me, mentoring, I've never had somebody come up to me and say, will you mentor me? Um, will you be that guy for me? And that's probably smart on their part. But I, I've had the great, um, I don't know, I guess it's the honor or the whatever you want to call it, that I've had the chance to work with some really great young firemen who probably took some of the things that I've said and done and said, oh, God, that's really bad. No, I wouldn't do that. Or, hey, this dude's got a pretty good idea of how to handle himself and there's a reason he's where he's at um yeah. i'm sure that i have pro provided both good and bad you know as a mentor but i i look at some of the guys just on this panel i look at danny i knew danny when he was he was a kid coming up in the fire service and you know i knew matt god maddie how many years ago did we meet right and um hey, Manny. <laughs> a lot but 
I look at where these guys Yeah. I look at where these guys are today and what they do, and they're not old guys like me or, or Captain Dugan, but you know, or Larry, because you know, I know Larry, you're Whoa! <laughs> you just look better than us. But seriously, <laughs> these guys are already people's mentors and they're young. So for me, I'm really to me it's a real honor that I got to be a part of their careers. And maybe help that. them, maybe help them without us ever talking about that. And look what they're doing in the field. When I go to stuff, like we said earlier, Steve Sanguiducci puts us all together in Texas, yep. and none of us know each other, right? Together as a group, we all know each other through different individual pockets. And yet, I got the chance that first day I got there to just sit back and watch these other guys work. And man, just it, it doesn't get better than that because every yeah. class they teach they're mentoring somebody. Every time they put a video up on YouTube, they're mentoring somebody. And whether we realize it or we don't, you know. And I think that's what Eric was saying. I mean, if you keep it to yourself, we all lose. Yeah, yeah. you suck. If you keep it to yourself, you suck. Absolutely. Eric, you had something you wanted to jump in there with? Yeah, you know, just a real quick mentorship story. Um, when I got hired at Yuba City, I was working as a company officer in a small county department. Um, and one of one of the guys that I started the fire service with, Billy Lewis, uh, we knew him as two dogs. Uh, he had gotten hired with Yuba City Fire about uh, probably four or five years before I did. And when he got hired, um, he came to the department with some experience and he, he struggled. He had some serious uh, issues with being accepted and, and guys feeling like, hey, we don't care where you came from. We don't care how the county did this. You're in the city now and you're going to do that. Um, yeah, I got you boss. Um, so he, he came down, I was on, on duty down in the County house one day and he came down and goes, Hey, congratulations. I love you. Here's the mistakes I made. And we probably had a two or three hour talk about the things he did trying to be a good fireman that weren't really received very well and how to avoid that slippery slope. So fast forward about 18 months later, I'm coming up on the end of my probation and my, my captain at the time, who later became my battalion chief, my captain at the time came up to me and pulled me into his office and goes, hey, let's go chat. I'm like, oh, hell, wonderful. Okay, what's going on? So he goes, you know, when you got hired, you, you came from the county and, and we all had some reservations about how you would act and what type of attitude you would have. And he goes, you didn't do any of those things. That's impressive. And, and why was that? And I told him, I said, look, plain and simple, two dogs came down to me and uh, sat me down and said, these are the, the mistakes I made. Don't make these mistakes. And um, the, the, the captain goes, dude, that's awesome. Well, we appreciate that. And we're going to tell Billy, thank you so much. But here's the deal. Every new hire academy we do from here on out, I want you to stand up in front of the class and tell them the things that Billy told you because they're important and they make sense and they, they really help you get through your probation and not be looked down upon as just another face in the room. You know, you're, you're somebody that gets it and you know what you're doing. Um, we lost Billy four years ago to uh, his own hand and uh, 
there's quite a few guys in this room that, that knew him and, and loved him. But uh, that, that right there was some mentorship that greatly, greatly helped me in my, my career with, you know, at the time, a, a big city department, which is tiny compared to most of you. But, um, you know, they were the, the big fish in the small pond back then. And so that, that really helped me out. I think mentorship is huge. Um, we've got, I did the math before we started just a minute ago because we've got 58% of our department has four years or less. So that's, that's huge. You know, yeah. and we, we actually have an individual that teaches firehouse etiquette and he's one of those new members, but he was a Marine. He gets it. He understands the, the paramilitary, um, structure and, and he's able to really work with these guys and do a great job and then we've got a formal mentor program also that this the more senior individuals take the junior guys under their wing and, and talk to them and meet with them quarterly and stuff like that so that's, that's something that i don't think a lot of places do they probably should like you don't see too many mentor programs going on within departments you know obviously fdny you guys have started the leadership stuff and that seems like it's really taken off and getting more guys involved. But um, as far as other departments, you know, it's just, I think we're stuck in old ways. Um, I hate to say that, but you know, anything formal um, just doesn't really exist yet. And there's that, there's still, I hate to say it, but there's that like stigma and God rest his soul, TK said, you know, don't be afraid to love the job. You know, and that's one of the big problems. People come in and they look at maybe at what one or two guys are doing. And if that's not, I don't want to say the right thing, but if they're just coming in, doing their job, checking the piece, you know, sitting on the couch, watching TV, stuff like that. I feel like some people are more apt to fall into those crevices and get lost within this fire service. Um, you know, when someone does offer like, Hey, I'm going to this conference, I'm going to this, you want to come to that, uh, this is a great opportunity. You want to meet so-and-so, um, a lot of those people are afraid to get involved and how to get them involved. I don't know. I wish I had the answer to that. Um, but I think that's one of the biggest things, you know, there, there are no programs like right now we don't, we don't have anything, you know? There's like, uh, if you become a new officer, they put you through a little development program. But other than that, there's, uh, there's no mentor program. There's no, um, I don't know. There's, it seems like that, that love, the tradition's still there, but that love and passion for the job is, has slightly been lost a little bit. And it's almost, I'm, I'm not going to say just our department or even like we're the big ones, but across the nation, it seems like people are being put down for putting time and love into their job and taking care of tools and doing this. And I don't know, it, it sucks to see, you know, I don't know how you, how you make up for that and try and, you know, turn that curve back the other way. Well, I know, I know one thing, I know doing things like this tonight and the group that Steve put together in Texas, those are the things that we're doing to combat the fact that the job is good. And it's okay to celebrate what we love. And I don't think we have to apologize for any of that. Um, and I think the ones that are lost just need some more work by all of us. I think, I think that we, we swung a little too far in the opposite direction of loving that job. 
Um, I think we're, we're all in it, or not all, but not us, in, just in general, it's become more about individually us and not so much the department, the company, the culture, the lifestyle. And, and when we start to put ourselves first, I mean, we had Rob and I talked to Mo the other night and I wish he was on tonight. I mean, God, I, that guy is just like, I just want to hug him. You know what I mean? Like, he's just incredible. And, and having him on though, the, the, the bombs he was dropping parallel everything that we all fell in love with him when we were in Texas was how infectious he is about how great the job is and the brotherhood and the people are first. And we don't even have to have the conversation of why we're here because we should know why we're it's all of that, Dan. And I, I think all of us sitting here tonight and talking about things like this um, is a real example of why the job is good and how it can be contagious. We can take what we're doing here tonight, all of us individually, and take this back to where we are. And if we can influence one or two more people to understand that things like this exist and that people do have a passion and love for this and it's okay to show it and scream it from the mountaintops, we're going to win. We are going to win. The job is still good. And I don't think none of us, you know, we shouldn't have to apologize for being into it and loving it. No, not at all. And, right. uh, you know, getting back to kind of what like Aaron, Aaron said earlier, and I appreciate it, but, you know, I started off just going to shit, you know, like, did I really know half the time, like what I was going to, like what was going to go on and no, but you go, you meet people, you start taking classes, you see what's out there. Like you don't have that tunnel vision, you know? You focus, some guys just go to work, you know, they, they know their job and stuff like that. But other than that, they don't know what goes on outside of that. They don't know the entire world of this fire service. And, you know, I think if they had any of that opportunity to meet some of these people, I mean, I can't believe some of the people that right here on the screen that I've, yeah, right? you know, yeah, that I've been able to meet, teach with, work with, you know, share a drink with, share stories with. The things that I've learned from the people on this screen, never mind, you know, the hundreds, if not thousands of people that you meet at conferences and stuff like that. Just hearing like one story, you know, you're like, holy shit, that's going on over here in this department, or this is how they run, or, you know, this is what goes on uh, down in Louisiana, you know. When we were down there, they had a little fire and some of their tactics, it was unbelievable. I'm like, holy shit, I've never seen this before, you know. You take that back, you talk about it, and unbelievable but i love it uh you know i'm blessed to, to you know know all of you and um take these little tidbits so i appreciate it like i said i mean i want larry to hop in but like i said to steve when he did that weekend in texas when we came back i said steve next time you do this man if you just need somebody to carry luggage i'm your guy you know what i mean like this is I mean, you, you might know, have to drive just, a van hopefully yeah, gonna work buddy don't worry hey, about if it. i drove the van i'd be on time steve just yeah time. yeah I just have one thing to say before you hop to Larry. Yeah. When I was captain of 123, the captain before me did something that I thought was amazing. He put together, uh, Phil Gaetani put together a list for the probies of what they had to do at every tour. Because every firehouse has unwritten rules. And my wife always said, if you don't know what the rules are, how are you supposed to know how to follow them? You have to figure them out on your own. If your father wasn't on the fire department, you didn't know. So he put together what's expected on the day tour, what's expected on the night tour, what's expected from the company. And he also had the Proby's Bill of Rights and he had each one of them sign it when they came into the firehouse. And to, to me, it was the neatest tradition we had in the world because each kid came in there and they were given this and they were given four pages of material. 
this is what we expect you to do. This is what we expect you to do on the day tour, on the night tour. This is what your rules are. This is how the company pride works. This is what it is. Here it is. Sign this, that you've got this. And they did. And we started from day one. And I think that's where we lose sometimes. We don't get the kids initially when they jump on. Somebody else, somebody else in the firehouse is there. We haven't gotten them and we're not bringing them up. I think we have to start yep. from day one with this love of the job that we were all talking about. Yeah. Larry, hop in, brother. Hey, uh, it's a combination of what Dan said, Jeremy, what you said, what Captain Dugan just said. You know, pride is related to the individual composition of the company. And when Steve and I were on the job at 68s together, if there's one thing that we did on Ladder 68 or Station 68 as a whole is, I was going through pictures the other day. We got a guy from Nebraska riding with us. We spent eight or 10 hours tinkering with the ladder truck, mountain crap, doing stuff that we thought would make us be better at the job. The captains didn't make us do it. We didn't go out there. We weren't ordered to do it. We were doing it to try and become more efficient and better than the next station over. We wanted to make sure that it was where we wanted it. So it made us, if we saved 10 seconds, that it made us better at our job. And I think I said it on the group text with everybody the other day. It didn't matter if Steve was the only person from 68s on that truck or if I was. At the end of the day, all they were going to remember was that it was 68 sitting in front of the fire building and we either succeeded or we failed. And, and they would know it was the A shift. You could be on vacation in Aruba. When you came back, though, you were going to wear it as to how that company operated. And when it comes down to it, it's like Captain Dugan said, you can't expect a new guy to walk in the door and fit right in and know what the expectations are and operate at the same tempo. He's got to know what's expected. He's got to know the ground rules. But at the same time, too, he's got to be welcomed into a certain degree to become part of that, to know that he's not the outcast. He's not just there to clean the pots. And I had to learn that. We talked earlier, or somebody was texting, saying, how, did, how has your mentorship style you know, changed? And when you look at it, I never considered myself a mentor until I looked around one day and I realized I was the old head. And when I was the old head, I had to really go back and look, what was the stupid crap that I did? You know, the rookie walks in the door, and if you're the hard ass that he doesn't feel like he can approach and talk to, he's never going to learn anything from you. He's going to be the guy that's constantly going to try and avoid you, and he's going to say, I'm not dealing with him. And so as I got older and I became what, what I consider the engineers in the Houston Fire Department are the NCOs. They're the ones that function in that intermediary Larry, uh, level between the officers and the pipemen. They're the ones that take the corrective action for the company as a whole. They're the ones that pull the people in the back and they say, look, guys, this is what we're doing right. This is what we're doing wrong. We got to tighten it up because you don't want the captains to have to be captains. You don't want the chief to have to be chief. So if we deal with it at a lower level, we can modify all we need to. And then what we can do is then we can, as a whole, succeed better, be more efficient, be better for the community, be better for the other companies as a company. And we still, and pride comes out of that on its own. Because I can tell you right now, at three in the morning, after you've made three working fires, after, you know, eight o'clock at night or after dinner, like Steve and I did, and I'm sure everybody else on here has done as well, you still want to kick it in the ass and give it 110%. Because you know what? If you make the fourth fire, it's still your ass with your rig sitting in front of the building, and it's going to reflect on you. But if everybody's operating in the same direction on the same sheet of music, man, it's a thing of beauty. And when you come out, you're beat-ass tired but you're dropping your hooks, you're dropping your air packs and your mouth is in high gear because you knew your company kicked it in the ass and you're going to make sure everybody else knows it, not as a source of ego, but as a source of pride for the company. 
Well, I, I'm, I mean, I'm done here, Larry. I mean, just, yeah. this is Mike drop. <laughs> you just crushed it, man. Like, absolutely, brother. I appreciate that. That was spot on. Look at that Pagalino's comments over on the side. <laughs> he should have stuck around. I just, I just want to say one thing, and this is only because I, I won't, I probably won't ever get a chance again, but due to the, uh, the uh, circumstances that we find ourselves in at the uh, moment, I never uh, expected to say I was going to be on C-Shift, but I'm on C-Shift right now. <laughs> and, and I did 30 years on C-Shift. It's not the worst place to be. Uh, you know what? It's actually, it's a really good thing. And, but we've created almost like, a, and I wouldn't say a, uh, a little bit of an internal battle between, but you can see the young guys starting to talk a little banner, uh, banter between each other. And it will kind of make you elevate your game on that that shift, you know, like where we've like, okay, hey, we did four drills yesterday. Oh, yeah, well, if they did four, we're going to do five. And just kind of we did this and we went around and we changed this on the rig or we adjusted that. And and it's not trying to outdo each other. It's just trying to be like Larry was referring to the, the best crew that you can be, the best fireman that you could be uh, for what is rea in reality your uh, your company at the end of the day. Listen, competition's good. Healthy competition is the best thing in the world, right? Because it keeps you on your game. It makes you sharper. It makes you want to be better. I want to hold you accountable. Like, yeah. Because that's, that that's all. Yeah. Well, Captain Dugan, years ago, I remember when I first met you and one of the stories you told about, you know, what the company next door had, nobody does it better. And what was on the yeah. front of your rig? Nobody. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's, that, that has stuck with me since the day I met my dude. <laughs> I love that. That's great. That's fantastic. <laughs> well, guys, thank you. That was fantastic. Do you mind doing one more topic? I mean, anybody got to be anywhere with this uh, quarantine? It's nice. We get to – this is the best part about this is we get to lock people in. Nobody's got anything to do. I mean, it's this yeah. dance with the stars or something, right? So – I got to feed my uh, goldfish. I'd love to – you know, we talked about mentorship. Maybe this kind of just snowballs into it. Um, can you read it? Proby life. Oof. Matt, you should start off with that one. <laughs> but maybe, maybe we should have. But you know what? I think it. I think it comes back around. Rough. I think it. I think it comes back around because mentorship um, is directly in, in line with with probies and and our new folk that are coming up the line and. Larry hit a couple of nice nuggets, Captain Dugan and Aaron, everybody in this group. I mean, you guys all had a lot of good things to say on that. It was a fantastic topic. Um, when it comes to proby life, uh, Matt, you kind of just hit on a little bit now that you guys are running your, your set shifts and so on and so forth. I think um, where I want to go with this is maybe understanding that uh, we as leaders, as, as a voice in the fire service, we have to understand more than ever that we do need to have that plan and we do need to put things in place that are consistent. I think consistency in the fire service is a difficult topic and something that's difficult to talk about. Uh, we all like to hope that there's consistency throughout, whether it's SOGs, whether it's uh, uh, discipline, whether it's your daily house duties, your, you name it across the board. Consistency seems to be a tough issue. Uh, and understanding the expectations of the probe in the firehouse. Um, you know, we, as the, you know, a lot of us are, um, you know, uh, many years in the fire service. So we, we hold a position in our house, in our companies, in our departments that um, people do look up to us. Um, and so we have to set that example. 
And at times, I think we have to work harder than we've ever worked to ensure that the next generation is signing on to what we need out of them or what we want out of them or what's expected of them. Um, Proby life, it's not easy these days. Um, and I, I just wanted to hit on that a little bit. I mean, I don't know, um, Kevin, maybe I could ask you, brother, in, in the, uh, you know, uh, retired out of um, the FDNY and so on, but, you know, Proby culture in New York City, if not anywhere, is probably the most intense. I think it's pretty intense in, 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 uh, in probably the FDNY. You guys have a pretty, um, pretty good uh, house demographic, if you will, um, individual companies and so on. Um, would you mind hitting on that a little bit? I just think from a, from a retired, uh, retired brother out of the city, um, Kevin Dugan, I'd love for you to hop in too, but you know, maybe you could hit on that a little bit just as to today's probie um, and what maybe a couple things we need to do to ensure, because I can tell you on National Fire Radio, a lot of our listenership are younger firefighters um, that are looking for uh, something more. Maybe they're not getting it in their own house. Maybe they're not getting it out of their own senior guys or officers or mentors. And so, um, you know, we're, we're providing a channel for that. And maybe you can just hit on that a little bit, brother. Well, for, for me personally, uh, I've spent the last 20 years in special operations, so we don't get probies. Right. So, you know, going back to the days of when I was a probie or what I saw years ago, um, obviously has changed a lot. So, you know, the newer firefighters that are coming on these days, you know, they're, they're different. And it's, it's not that they're not knowledgeable. They're smart people. But a lot of them are from college. They don't have trades and stuff like that. That's what I've seen over the years. And um, where a lot of us, they came back from years ago, you know, we started in construction trades or you did something with your parents or you worked at doing air conditioning, refrigeration, plumbing and stuff like that. So there's still some of those firefighters out there, but a lot of them are college age kids that come into the fire service now. So for me in special operations, just to come to a squad company, you have to have five years on a job just to apply. So it's kind of changed that demographic and I don't see the probies as, as much as uh, other people would. Yeah, I know though too, you're, you are involved outside, uh, you're retired in the Bali house as well. Um, and I know you have some background in that as well too. Um, and I know just in my Bali house, the, the difference in the probies over the years um, and so on. And I know that we're working harder than we've ever worked before to ensure that we're instilling the right values and, right. and company pride into them. Um, anybody else? I mean, you know, it's kind of a, go ahead, Cap, please. Um, let me tell you a story. And this is me personally. This is my story. I was a probie in one of the slowest firehouses in the city of New York. When I got appointed, I got appointed to 268. I got a 268 was the engine. I was in line of 137. Uh, the engine used to do about 300 runs a year. Uh, the truck did about 1,100 runs a year. There was, and I went there and it was a camp. The junior man in the engine used to get the nozzle. And one night I was working, the nozzle man had 27 years. Okay, he was the junior guy. And it was just, they were all good firemen from great shops in Brooklyn, the Bronx, Manhattan, who were just retiring down there. And their nickname was the Washed Up Brothers on the Beach. And they sent, they wanted young blood down there to change it. And I went down there and there was not much to do. I was going crazy. I was doing drills on my own because there was, nobody wanted to drill, everything else. I missed my first run on the FDMY because I used to have to walk through a parking lot across the street to get the meal at the supermarket because they didn't want to get on the rig to go to the supermarket. 
Hey, I've missed one past me and waved at me. Then I got transferred up to Harlem as a probie without having a paper and a lot of 43. And I got there and I thought it was the same thing as this firehouse I was in. And I walked into the kitchen on my first day and I sat down and had a cup of coffee. And you would have thought I had two heads. Okay, they looked at me, but they, they said, what are you doing? I said, I don't know, what am I supposed to do? They said, where'd you come from? And I told them, I said, what'd you do over there? Nothing, they didn't do anything. Well, this is what you got to do. And they told me, and I had to wash the tools. I thought, that's all you got to do is tell me. Senior man took me outside, showed me what to do, how they wanted me to do it. Well, the day I got off probation, I was out there doing what I was supposed to do. And they said, no, 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 no. You don't have to do this anymore. We'll help you. I said, no, you don't have to help me. I got this down to a science. I can get this done in a couple of minutes. It's not a big deal. You're going to get my way. <laughs> Let me do this. I got it. No, we'll help you. We'll help you. But... You have to explain to them what you want them to do. Some of these kids have never touched the tool. You got to show That's them it. how to use it. You got to, if you don't give them expectations, it's like having a dog. If you ever had a friend who had a dog who never gave the dog any expectation, the dog's going to be jumping on your head when you're sitting on the couch and licking your ears or something else. Okay. If you don't train them, you can't say, oh, they're a bad dog. Okay, you have to train them. Tell them what you want them to do. I don't care. Listen, they said it about me back in the day. They probably said it about the kids who came after me. Okay, right. that's why you have to train them. You have to set expectations of what you want. You are a member of this great firehouse. This is what we expect from you. This is what we want you to do. Okay, and then once we're there off probation, then everybody else helps, jumps in to help them, and we get it all done together. Then we're a family. But you, they're teaching you your job. I love it. I, I agree with you wholeheartedly, 100%. I think now more than ever, we have to educate and instill the right values through answering more questions. They want to know why? Let's tell them why. Tell them why. Let's if tell, you don't know why, them. then it's on you. If That's you right. don't know the reason, it's on you. And That's the other right. thing I tell all the kids now is, listen, you can't Google how to do a job at a fire. You have to learn it because they're not going to say, well, now the OV goes here at this fire or the nozzle man has to go here. You can Google fire and see great pictures, but you're not going to learn how to do your job on the internet. You have to learn it doing it. Good. Good. All right, let's move on. I'm not crazy about that one. Thank you, though, for hopping in. Uh, <laughs> should we get controversial a little bit or no? Why wouldn't we? <laughs> oh, Jesus. Perfect. Perfect? Who said perfect? <laughs> was that Eric? No, it was me. <laughs> Pags? Roof. Uh, I don't even know what that means. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I should put it this way. It's flat now. <laughs> Whoa, you want to talk about flat roof innovate? Flat. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, Maddie, how does Trent invent roofs? <laughs> wow. It's fun, everybody. I'm out. Wow. Whoa. And you're the administrator? <laughs> Dan, he doesn't know. He didn't make it that far. Oh, my <laughs> Responsible buffing, okay, boys? And how was your grenade? <laughs> wow. My wedding. Oh, yeah. I might have to go back to my fridge. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna have to get to something harder here, Jesus. That's what she said. <laughs> I'm gonna tell you what I think about peak roof dwelling. Captain Dugan, thank you for being the only mature one in the group. <laughs> you know what? I've been married 
in September, well, in May, we'll be married 34. We've been together in September 40. You know what's in my attic? Stuff. Stuff. <laughs> Her shit is stuff. My stuff is shit, and it's in the shed. Okay? There is nothing in that attic that I really want. Okay? Christmas decorations, her wedding dress, all that stuff. I really don't give a crap about it. If my house catches on fire, I still love my wife after 30, 40 years together. Okay? I want her. I want my kids. If you can, I want the dog. But I want my wife and all my kids if they're home. I don't give a shit about the stuff in the attic. Get your people. If you're putting people on the roof, in the initial attack of a peak roof private dwelling, shame on you because you're not getting people inside to rescue the men and women who are inside that house. If the building's completely vacant, you know it's empty. I don't give a shit if you throw water in the windows until it floats out the roof or the chimney. I don't care what you do. But if there are people in there and you're putting people on the roof, I'm out. I think one of the big problems you see, and I, I, I agree with Cap, I, I think one of the big problems you see is guys have it in their brains that, okay, this we're always going to do this. We always go to this. We always go to that. Peaked roofs, you know, I've seen guys go to a peaked roof for a fucking basement fire, not in a balloon frame. So, I mean, what are you doing, you know? You, you, there's a t I think there's a time and a place. Some places aren't going to go to a peaked roof at all. But but we got to get out of that mindset of always send the truck to the roof, always send the guys to do this. So it doesn't work that way. And and I, I agree there may there is a time and a place, but you got to know the building construction. You got to know where the fire is going and where it's at. You know what what the old the old line that um, Ray Hoff taught years ago: you can bag a fire if you know where it's been, if you know where it's at, and if you know where it's going, you should be able to put your people in the right places. I, I really believe that as an officer, I've always subscribed to that since I learned it from, again, Ray Hoff 25 years ago or whenever I met him. Um, but so I'm not against peak roof ventilation. I have absolutely done it. I've sent guys to the roof and it's, and it's been helpful, you know, as, as guy who's been on the engine lots of times, that's, that's been nice when they pop the hole for us. But you, I, I agree with Captain Dugan. Time and a place and a, and priority levels. I think that you got to set. You know, you think that's you a lot. Said, can, can I jump in there, Jeremy? If you don't mind. Yeah, 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 yeah. Go right ahead. So you know, when I joined the volleys years ago, you know, it was like one of those things you did. You're in a truck company. You go to the roof. You cut a hole. That that's what I was taught. That's all I knew. I didn't know any better. And then, you know, you start looking at it and you start doing a little research and figuring out and the FDMY is not big on it. Um, but you really look at what are we dealing with here? I mean, I, I could tell you my house here, it's 11 home on Long Island. Uh, my, my ceiling joists are two by fours, 24 on center. And my roof joists are two by sixes, 24 on center with three ply plywood. I mean, walking up there without any turn turnout gear on, my roof starts to move. So now put a guy in full turnout gear with fire conditions and stand on top of that with three or four guys. Where are you going? You're going right through. So, you know, my neighbor had a fire and it was a chimney it came up through into the eaves and uh, the attic fan pulled it right across to the other side of the house. So what are you walking on here? You're walking on something that's being demolished. So is it the safest thing in the world? It's not. Right. So, and, and there's good and bad to, to all sides of it. You know, I can see where it can be beneficial, but for the most part, we're putting a lot of weight 
minimal manpower because we're already stressed to the limits depending on where you are in this country and we're sending three or four guys to a roof they could spend a lot more time inside pulling ceilings and put the fire out yeah. can i offer a differing opinion go ahead Larry. please <laughs> and we're not we don't have a lot of flat roof buildings down here right and almost all of our residential even the commercial everything's got a pitch on it and just for perspective, I agree with, with what you used to saying, what Captain Dugan's saying, I get it. But if we look at it objectively, we remove ourselves from what you're typically used to responding to. The smoke and the products of combustion, the heat and everything else that's inside doesn't know whether it's got a flat roof or whether it's got a peak, right? Realistically, I'm not advocating that the truck goes to the roof every time. But I think if you effectively utilize your crews, you can split your crew, you can still complete your searches, you can still be setting up to pop the roof. And realistically, Captain Dugan has a valid point. We've cut more than a bunch of holes in a peaked roof and you got nothing but crap in the attic. It's decked and you wind up having a hard problem being able to push the ceiling. But I think that to, to out of hand say that it's more dangerous, Steve and I have been on roofs before that we touched the grass and the damn thing fell in. But that could happen on a flat roof. And I think that realistically, when you get down to it, we can't out of hand say that one is more inherently dangerous or safer than the other. Because if you do it, Captain Dugan and 123, those guys are probably aces at flat roofs. Sure. Back in my day, you'd have put us on a flat roof. We'd have been a cow staring at a new gate, but you put us on a pitched roof and we're a bunch of damn, I mean, and we're off to the races. It comes down to what we're used to. It's, it's being able to read it. Building construction's huge. And I think a lot of times that is regardless of the type of construction, if you're benefiting the engine, then you're benefiting any citizens that are inside. And we're all naive to think, and you just said it, we don't have the resources we need anywhere in this country. The engine's not going to go over a body just because they're the engine. But if you make the conditions inside more tenable for the engine, you're making them more tenable for the occupants. And, and even if you're on a pitched roof, if you get the job done and you relieve that, you, re you reduce the risk of flashover, you reduce the risk of fire extension. And I think that pitched roof ventilation, especially on an attic fire or even an occupied floor fire, it's still gonna bring you relief to that engine and by extension, the citizen. I, I wanted to just like tag in there. I know in Hyattsville, every fire that they talk about in Hyattsville that all the, the, the old timers, if you will, it always goes back to a fire that happened in some kind of a second story or or uh, attic that was converted into some kind of living space and there was like knee walls and the, the first and second new trunk companies didn't get up to that roof and ventilate and that that fire ended up biting them guys in the ass and then like everybody else that was outside in the fire ground was like hey it looks like the fire's up there let's all clog the stairwell and go up while these guys were getting their their asses kicked and trying to get you know retreat back down and i just like you know that so for me, like I always look at these houses, especially my own first do, um, like we're, we want somebody up on that roof and we want somebody cutting the hole because it's probably an occupied space and they're just gonna benefit that engine company making that push up into that into that living space. Yeah, so. and I, I agree. I mean, you know, I think there's a time and place for all of it, right? Um, I, I think to say that across the board, it's, it's, not, uh, it's not the right thing to do is difficult to say. Um, there is a time and place. Conditions dictate, conditions warrant, the, the construction warrants, the pitch of the roof warrants, right? Construction of the roof, the elements, the environment. I mean, I've been on many of pitched roofs and cutting many of holes, whether via ground ladder or a tower ladder or a straight stick, and it is pressurized. And when we open that pitch, I mean, that thing is pumping out of there, but I know that we just gave relief 
or we let it light off through the vent hole and not mm-hmm. out the gable and down the down the hatch to the second floor, right? So, you know, I I've put myself in that position many of times. So I've seen it on pitch roofs. I know it works. But yes, it is a time and a place, and it is manpower intensive, especially if it's going via ground ladder, right? Um, and so on. But you know, it's an interesting conversation because I know there's uh, a lot of difference of opinion on this topic. Um, but I think, like everything in the fire service, Aaron, you just put it in the chat too. Is you know, there's a time and a place, and it's and it's understanding the conditions and what warrants and what doesn't warrant. Jeremy, I think the other thing, is, the big thing, is knowing your areas. You know, in Hamilton, it's such a big big area you know being 40 square miles and and being so diverse as it is where you've got 200 year old buildings and two day old buildings um so i know there's areas that i'm not sending the guys to the roof I, it, oh tell me about it i i know it i'm, I'm going gonna, through it right now right i'm just not going to take that chance with them if i don't have to but there's other places that i'll send them to the roof and I, those guys could be up there for days you know what i mean right so it's it's you really got to know where you're going and what you've got. And, and it, I think the way Larry put it, you know, it, where, the way he and Steve were doing it at 68, when they were together, they knew their district, they knew their building construction, they knew what sure. happened to those fires. You know, it's, it's a lot different when you go to that type of fire a lot. So it's, it's, again, there goes that whole thing where I've seen a couple of guys on this national stage lately telling you how you should fight your fire. Yep. But he's gone to like 12 trailer park fires, but never been to, you know, something that had, I don't know, multiple dwelling, you know, that, that was a walk up or something like that, right? Or a row house because they don't have that. But you're going to fight a trailer fire way better than some of the other people who don't go to that. He's bring so, a can opener. You don't need a saw on that. <laughs> Lombardo told me it's a it's a flashover can with curtains. That's what Mike said. <laughs> I think he's right. But, but you, my point being, you know, who, who am I to say, yeah, you should always go or no, you should never go, but you got to know your shit. And if you're sending as a company officer or a chief, if you're going to send the guys up there, you damn well better have a good idea of who you're sending, what they're supposed to do. Absolutely. And they have to know what's going on under them or none of this is going to work out well. I, I hey, but you know what, Aaron? I think one of the things too is, and I say this all the time, I don't care if you have a year or 40 years in the fire service, the biggest thing you can do and you can always get better at is size up. And if you size up the building properly, you know what the conditions are, you see what's really going on, you can make some good determinations of what's going on. I'm not against peak roof ventilation. I'm just saying you, you got to really be aware of your situation and what you're doing. Situational awareness is key. And if you, you make the stupid move, you put too many people in the wrong place, you're going to have a failure. People are going to get hurt. So just be careful. Uh, you know, and, and I could go back to the days when I did air conditioning refrigeration, sure. getting off the rooftops in the middle of winter in, in ice conditions, even flat roofs, and sliding sure. on my belly halfway across the roof because it was just ice. So if you could size it up right, make good determinations, you can, you can do anything right. And you know what Aaron said a minute ago? Aaron said something that's very key, and it goes back to the previous topics, Jeremy. It's about knowing when to send your guys up and, and – who you're sending and what they're going into. But realistically, it speaks to, to the previous topics that Captain Dugan was talking about. Never ask your people in mentorship, never ask your people to do something you can't do, won't do, or haven't done. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I, th- I think it has a lot to do with how many you have on your crew, too. You know, sure. where F- FDNY, Boston, Chicago, stuff like that, uh, there's always a dedicated roof guy. 
So with us, the chauffeur is always going to the roof. Whether it is a basement fire, a second floor fire, top floor fire, roof fire, whatever, that guy is setting the rig up and going to the roof. Is he immediately stopping a cut? Depends on what's going on. If it's a basement fire and it sounds like it's one room and it's not, then no, he's up there. He's got all his shit up there. And he's not going to come down until he's confirmed that they've got it knocked and it's not in the walls or up a void space. He can also give a report. Hey, I got smoke coming out of this vent. I got this going on. Takes a peek over the side. It's pushing out the top floor a little bit. He can give a report. He doesn't necessarily have to go up there and start going to work. That goes for a two and a half, you know, three-story wood frame, basically anything we've got. I think that has a huge difference, you know, with other places across the country that could be using that second or third guy differently. You know, if it's a basement fire, is that third guy going to be going to the roof? Probably not. There's a million things that got to be done. But if you have the crew we're riding for, one guy is always going up and, you know, you have him there if you do need to. Now, let me ask you a question, Dan. If one of your guys up on the roof went up there for a basement fire and cut the roof without talking to the officer or the chief, what would happen? Uh, he'd probably get a stern talking to afterwards. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You'd probably you'd probably hear the chief on the radio fucking screaming. <laughs> get the sauce down up. Oh no. <laughs> Yeah, it happens. It happens. You know, hold up on the roof. Hold up on the roof. And I mean, sometimes the chief will try and do it. I've been on peak roofs where you know we had fire either coming out the attic window or the top floor window. And the chief's like, "Hold up on the roof." I'm like, "All right, we're already three quarters of the way through our cut. Just keep going." You know, but hey, Maddie, yeah, I'm pretty you know? sure we were we were visiting an apartment that had heavy fire in the attic, and they're saying, "Hold up on the roof. Hold up on yeah. the roof." Yeah. Were you visiting, or was it Matt visiting? We we were both missing. Is this another case? Again? Oh, I don't know. Eric was in New York, so you never know what could happen. Oh, well, Eric was sleeping. Never know. Um, never know. Eric. Actually, I meant to say Danny, not Maddie. Yeah. So my, that makes that a little a more sense. Freudian slip. They're one of the same, aren't they? Yeah. <laughs> Oh, Married at the hip. Good looking in these days. <laughs> when love is different, mother. Up. I think I think Rush wants to to say something. Jump in here, Matt. Come on. I don't know what he's saying. Oh, I'm 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 listening. No worries. <laughs> ah, there, there he is. is. Oh, there he is. Hey, Matt. Look at him. He's got his glasses on and everything. Jump in, Matt. He's back on mute. No, nope, he's back. Yeah, there's, too much, there's too much knowledge getting dropped there, boys. I'm listening. I guess though. if we're going to continue on, I'll have to go for another one. One more. <laughs> one more. Listen, I, I, I don't want to keep you guys all night. I mean, we've been going for about an hour and 20 or so. Oh, you pour some for you, Aaron? I'm empty. I got to run to the fridge again. <laughs> I put a cooler next to me. I was smart. That's what, that's what I did. That's what I did. But um, listen, I mean, I, I just, I can't, I, I don't know. I mean, I guess we could start wrapping this, but, you know, I'll tell you. Um, I'm floored. You know, we're sitting here, I'm reading all the comments, you know, for people that are going to listen to this because we're recording it, right, and so on. But at the end of the day, like, I hope they don't see the comments. No, of course not. Of course not. <laughs> we're going to look to make sure. Out. We're safe, Kim. We're safe. But that is truly my favorite part of everything that's happening here tonight, right? It's like the camaraderie of this group, right? We've been able to put together, cast a character, Sanctus Steve and Affordable Drill Towers, 
we put together, you know, Steve put together a group that just clicks. And, um, and I, I think it's not just the group, it's it just epitomizes what we all stand for and why we're all here tonight. Um, and I wish a few more were able to jump in tonight. I know some people had some things going on. They reached out and said they would have loved to have been on or whatever. But the best part about this is, is that we get to do this. And then what we need to do now is we need to take what we're doing here and we need to spread this. We need to put this out there. We need to tell people that this exists. Now, there are guys in this business that want to talk shop. They want to talk about how good the job is. They want to talk about the camaraderie and enjoy the ball busting. And on the, on the right-hand side of the Zoom is the chat that I'm looking at. And that's funnier than anything that's happening or anything that we talked about tonight, you know, because it's, it's that brotherhood. It's that, it's that ball busting. It's that fun. It's, the, it's why we do this, right? I mean, we all love going to jobs. We all love being firefighters. But being a firefighter is a lot more than just going to fires. I mean, and, and a, you know, that's the 10% part. The 90% part is all of this, right? And what we get to do. Um, and no bullshit. Like the next time Steve does one of these, you know, I would love to be the van driver and carry the luggage because the knowledge and the experiences and the people that I get to meet, I mean, Matt said, he's just listening. I get it, man. Like, trust me, I get it. I, I just love being a fly on the wall and, and being able to, to know all of you and to hear these nuggets. I mean, what we just did in an hour and a half tonight, just, just bullshitting about what we know or or our opinions and feelings, I think is so valuable. And I think all of us, um, we kind of take that for granted. Um, you know, all each and every one of you bring an incredible value to the fire service. And um, I think we all need to get that out there because the more of us that are willing to share these nuggets, the more of us that are willing to put that message out there, whether it's through, you know, a, a social media page or a blog or Aaron, you do some of your uh, videos every once in a while, things like that. Like, I love that. Whether it's a training group, whether you go out and teach, all of that. All of that adds to the betterment of what we're trying to do here. And, and the fire service is so good. And it's because of guys like all of you. And I'm just humbled to be here tonight and to facilitate this conversation. Um, it was great, man. I had my little signs. I mean, you know, <laughs> just to have some fun. I mean, it's ridiculous, right? But it's, it's, it's sticky and it's stupid. But you know how many people are going to get value out of this? I mean, that's what... When we started National Fire Radio two years ago, I would, ne would have never thought for a minute that people actually get value out of what we do. And I've come to realize very quickly that sharing the messages, sharing the stories of the people that we interview is so much bigger than just the story. You know, we're, we're relating to a kid that's in Iowa that has a terrible department and doesn't have any leaders and is looking for more. And we're able to bring something more to them. That's what it's all about. And so I thank all of you for trusting us and being a part of this tonight and Steve for putting together this cast of characters and the fact that this just keeps carrying on. Um, I love it, man. And I can't thank you all for being on tonight and taking an hour and a half during the quarantine. It's a bonus for us. We locked you guys in. You got nothing else to do. So you figured you'd hop out. <laughs> but I mean, thank you. You know, I mean, this is just a cool cast of characters. Um, thank you. Hope it continues. Thank you. And you know, if you want to do it again, we'll do it again another night, but um, I thank you. And Steve, from the bottom of my heart, brother, it's because of you that this happened. So um, bravo, pal. Bravo. I'm enjoying every minute guys, just as much Good. as you are. Good. Thanks everybody. Appreciate right, it. Very much. Well, have a good night. Be safe. Stay healthy Take during care. this crazy time. And um, please, if you guys need anything from us at National Fire Raider or anything, man, 
please reach out. I'd be more than happy to do whatever we can for any of you.